Okay, universe, I think it's probably a good time to crack a cold one because there are words that will come out of my mouth in the next 45 minutes or four to five minutes. We'll see how long I can sustain that um, I don't think will be easily spoken. And um, nothing personal. Well, I suppose it's personal. Um, I, I don't ever like speaking to current events because I feel like the human condition, the lives we're leading, the real conundrums that our existence presents, the deepest of philosophical considerations, well, they're, they're timeless. Um, while peripheral uh, considerations of 21st century American life play a big role in defining the values um, and cultural mores that you are uh, participating within and inundated by, the conversation in your head, the one you have with your resident critic, is the same conversation that you'd be having 2,000 years ago or 2,000 years forward, that doesn't go away. And so for me, anything that centers on, say, the phenomenon of, uh, what, the Barbie movie, has zero value. Um, however, male and female roles and the tension and tug back and forth therein, uh, and what the influence of the Barbie movie had to say on those roles this summer, especially given an emerging, empowered, young female audience to judge it? Well, yeah, there are some moments in which current cultural events and happenings can become very relevant. And so when those are occurring, then they're absolutely worth a little bit of mental masturbation, which is why uh, I feel like I can't ignore conversation about the Israel-Palestine situation, especially with fearless leader Joe Biden offering essentially blanket support to self-defense, or at least the, what do they call it? They have to be able to protect themselves from vicious terrorist attacks. And, of course, anti-Semitism as the ground upon which all those vicious terrorist attacks are taking place. Um, okay, I, I've, not that it matters that you be on the record about anything, but I am definitely on the record as not understanding our love of Israel. In fact, if you want to go down Conspiracy Road with me, the place where I feel like 
that blackmail routine in in uh, in Pizzagate with the the kids in the photos that uh, Jeffrey Epstein that whole thread. Well, when you think about uh, how compromised our political leadership, take for instance uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. How uh, they all just rank and file line up to pay mad respect to the country that is known as Israel. So I have nothing but sympathy for the horrors of oppression that any people face historically, currently, in the future, and the stain on our humanity that creates. So, to think this isn't um, a way of <laughs> of appreciating the true victim status as someone who undeservedly suffered the wrath of another human being in any capacity. All of that is wrong and leads me to dark, dark thoughts about what this planet's like if I let too much of it in, because it's everywhere. It's happening next door right now. Um, so there are ways that my porcupine quills start reacting to the even the the scene of the of the explosion that's captured on that cell phone of the hospital that I, and and I hate how I'll be watching a, like just something to see if I can get informational updates on what's actually occurring and they'll cut to a, a video and today coming out of or you know and all of a sudden it's it's that level of violence or even worse and <clears throat> Uh, call me tender. That's something I, I would agree to. But those those images are hard. I can't get rid of them when I've seen them. And um, and I, I do feel the the wreckage, the inordinate amount of suffering. It's, I guess. Um, something I'll never be able to, uh, to desensitize myself to. And I've tried. I even, at one point in college, went and found various source materials of the, well, I was doing a report on genocide, uplifting topic that that is, a report. I don't know if it was a report. It might uh, have been something... Uh, completely different. But whatever I was doing, I was researching genocide and uh, came across a a pictorial journalist. It might have even been like a Life magazine type thing about genocide on the African continent. Actually, I know it wasn't a Life magazine thing because it wasn't an, an American press publication. It came from Africa. And and 
again, the standards of jur- what's journalism in our country and thus something to show. Um, the quintessential example for me is that Vietnamese film clip of that seven or eight year old boy running naked down the road. Um, is that journalism? Is that pedophilia? Is it, you know what I'm saying? Like these, these are the issues that AI has so much trouble with. They don't know how to, to really ferret out the one or two, uh, samples of millions of counter examples that are true journalism in a situation like that versus some manipulation or just horror show of pedophilia. Because that level of sensitivity in America is very high when it comes to um, to scenes of of true violence. Well, I was I was thumbing through this book, and it just the, the imagery is so powerful. I can even picture some of the the cloud of emotion to this day, but. And I, I just started, I mean, when, I, when I'm trying to not cry, because it's inconvenient specifically, um, it's like I can feel the, I can feel that I, I'm, it's, <laughs> it's like that point in sex where it's like, if we go any further, we're going to have to actually finish this. Um, when I can feel that my tear ducts have, I guess, filled or something like it's inevitable. I can't help but create a tear at this point. There's about a five second delay before it actually falls off my face. And I remember looking at this photo and it was a picture of a woman and she was just turning around looking back at something and you could see she was holding her dead child. And the look on her face was just like, what do I have left? You know, I mean, it was, it was like you could feel, and I've, I've had the cushiest life. I've been through no real pain. But my empathy meter in those situations goes so redline. It still vividly affects me now. And um, so I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the library, and honestly, this was, this is how I met Beth. Um, God, I didn't realize that. And uh, and the girl, girl, the young woman who was in the desk or at the desk behind me, turned around and gave me a Kleenex. And she turned out to live in my dorm. I didn't really. I had seen her maybe once or twice, but wouldn't have been able to even tell you that I recognize her. And uh, and it was such a nice thing to do. And. <laughs> And we ended up dating for four months until she went crazy and had to leave college. But when, and so when I was doing this genocide thing, I kept seeking out more and more of the visual um, material instead of just the written word. Because I think as you understand um, humans, oh my God, I think my cat just peed on the bed. Pause. Well, talk about something I didn't expect to be recording. Hmm. Now I got to find the cat. Yeah, I think she knows I'm mad at her. All right, universe. All that ambient noise from the goddamn 
washing machine. At least that's over with. Nothing worse than having to talk over something like a washing machine just to try to communicate with you. But, uh, did you need a dab? Okay, well I do. So let's get that taken care of. Maybe I'll forget about my cat. Nope. I still remember her. I remember her being on my favorite ball golf shirt. And then looking at me as if, yeah, yeah, I did just do that. What are you going to do about it? Oh boy. Of course, I'm not going to kill my cat. I'm not that kind of person. But how do you live with a cat that just randomly pees all over the fucking place? I've only uh, ever known of this situation with somebody else who had to deal with it. But, alright, why am I talking about that? I don't want to talk about African genocide, but my point in all of that losted tangential distraction is imagery is oftentimes mentally uh, permanent for me. I can pull in what is <clears throat> not direct experience, but vicarious experience, either in movie video form or even just photo, where the emotional connection made in the exchange of quasi-life is real enough that it imprints on me forever. And, I mean, all of us experience this. Everybody can think of their favorite scene in their favorite movie as if they were there participating. Pause. Um, so, I'm not claiming some special um, experience here, but it's peculiar to me that we are so limited in exposure to, for instance, the wreckage of war. There should be photos on the front page of every newspaper in this country when we are involved in some sort of international police state action that results in the death of civilian innocents. Well, seeing that wreckage might help a nation come to its conscience. I could be wrong. But those images for me um, are so powerful that that day in the library, I remember thinking, I wonder if I can get myself to the point that I don't tear up at this kind of um, exposure. But tearing up at that kind of exposure is exactly what led to maybe my favorite relationship of all time. It was only four months long, but Beth and I got along great. Beth was one really cool, cool, cool woman who I'll bet now today is even cooler. However, um, that incident stands out. So it was another incident. I remember the first movie I lost it in on a date. 
just sobbing my ass off. And, um, boy, what movie was that? It was something, well, I can, I know the, the year. Okay, we're not going to play that game. Um, the, oh, shit, I'm playing that game in my head, sorry. <laughs> oh, what movie did we see, Cameron? What was it? It was something, I, I know Fatal Attraction was in the theater at the same time. So that's as far as I can take it. But I'm going to find that movie out, and I'll have it for you next time. At least there's about a 4% chance I'll have it for you next time. Because I'll forget this by the end of the five minutes here. Um, all of these distractions, if I can bring them full circle, are ways of trying to say we need more responsibility with our international diplomacy as we encourage not peaceful solutions, but escalating conflicts in regions where tensions are already high. It's reckless. It's irresponsible. It is the maneuvering of very few in charge of the hmm, moral identity of a nation. Nothing that Joe Biden has said in the last 24 hours do I agree with. Not a single word. Not even his joke. He's not funny. And he he has black eyes. It's spooky. But even though I'm 99.7% today convinced he's not a clone, that he's in fact the same Joe Biden that I remember from Delaware with that cheesy smile and the hair plugs. Where's that guy? Okay, he's not a clone. I don't think. But he is a dick. He has an abrasive manner. He races through his teleprompter as if the only thing he's trying to do is not make a mistake. He has no approachability. His staff is terrified of him. And he's one of hundreds, if not thousands, in our political system that have been eaten alive by what looked like success measured at the highest level. And it turned out to be nothing but a prison and um, competitive landscape in which nobody is a winner, everybody's a loser. And you don't you don't realize how much of your life you fear, you you fought your way to something important only to get somewhere completely astray and filled with what doused idealism what what is what is the cynicism that that begets all who look at their lives as cashed in for um, others' interests, sellout. The ultimate jersey of 
sponsorship. I will do anything for you if you will give me money. Hmm. Uh, I'm not saying Joe Biden's sitting around worried about all the bribes he's uh, he's denying, and it's it's probably true that he's the only clean politician in America. It it could be true. There's got to be one, right? But you're not going to be president. That's not that's not a clean politician. By the time you're president, you're a known compromised politician connected to the highest levels of compromise available. So the ones who are juniors in the game look at you with some envy because they understand that you played the game to get to that point. And that isn't easy to do. You have to give away more than just your soul. You have to give away your identity. You have to give away your integrity. You have to give away your sense of honor and truth. You have to basically give away everything good about you. But then in exchange, they give you this veneer of protection from all missteps you may encounter. Get caught in an airport bathroom, toe tapping to the guy next to you? Don't worry about it, we'll fix that. Get caught with too many dogs biting too many of your staff? Well, we'll just blame the dogs, not the owner. We'll cover you, Joe. Whatever fucking zany shit you get into, you're covered. And in exchange, you give us everything good about your honor, integrity, and purpose for the people. Because instead, we're going to use that to rush through a whole bunch of medical shit that doesn't need to happen. Um, <clears throat> oh, man. Okay, so, that last dab was Reno and back. First time I've, uh, I've had this, and I'm going to put this right in the... There is, in my opinion, 70% of weed falls into one category, and that is the category that is relaxing, euphoric... Um, uh, inquisitiveness? Mm, that's probably not the right word. Relaxing for sure. Euphoric, because no matter what mood you're in, you'll be in a better mood. You'll just have an uptick of giddiness. Um, or if not giddiness, then uh, sort of warmth from inside. Just a feeling of overall body happiness. It's one or the other that usually appears. And... Then I'm trying to think of how to quantify the mental. But that's, that's what most weed does. Now, I don't mind this. This is a good high. This is the kind of high that I would definitely want to play some video games, take a walk, um, play golf, uh, do any low-key sport. Um, including, do I include skiing in that? I guess I do because I always ski high. I don't think skiing high is smart. So I think there are limits to what you should do high. Too many people die skiing these days for me to think skiing in any form of inebriation is smart. But <clears throat> I'm probably done skiing. I might go one or two more times just for the fuck of it. But my skiing days are over. And I did ski my ass off in my youth. 
Um, literally, I have no ass now. But <clears throat> since Reno and back is one of those names that you figure what, some carload of 18-year-olds was going to California to buy a plant that they were going to turn into a gold mine here in Colorado, and maybe they did. And because it was such a symbolic gesture to all of them, they named the plant Reno and back. I have no idea if that's true. I'm making that up in real time. But since that's the name of the weed that is sitting in my, currently on my dab tool, um, well, I thought, while the washing machine is in its most abrasive mood, can I come up with, off the top of my head, a list of 15 ideas for uh, weeds? Is that 15? Maybe. Um, and see if any of these actually show up uh, as real weed soon or have in the past or currently do. But none of these do I think are weed. As a matter of fact, I specifically stayed out of the uh, name conventions like skunk or kush or um, blueberry or anything that is already well known as a weed variant. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure I did that. I was intending to, so if I made a mistake, we'll just cross it off the list. Um, and <clears throat> I don't think... Oh, one of these doesn't count, but we'll get to that one. So, starting off with pickles. I think pickles is the perfect name for almost anything, whether it be a cat or a lawnmower or a plant. Um, you can even name your girlfriend pickles. There are so many things that pickles works for. So why not weed? And the naming combinations that could come with pickles, sour pickles, pap pickles kush, uh, pickles runts, runts pickles. I mean, I'm just stopping now. Pickles. That was the first thing that came to mind. But that would have been the first thing to come to mind if I was trying to name my mirror. Um, second thing that came to mind, cobwebs. Mostly because there's a cobweb up in my fucking corner. Um, and it's been bothering me. But... I also am surprised that I haven't seen weed named cobweb of any kind. I can't think of a single variant that has cobweb in it. Or maybe I'm crazy and I'll see 16 of them and go, oh yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. So that was number two. Number three, foggy noggin. Why not? I mean, it's as good as uh, Sour Patch Kids. Maybe better. Number four, and this might be my favorite, bucket list. Number five, main event. Number six, cunt punch. Okay, I don't say that word. Except that might be my favorite phrase of the 21st century. I don't know if the sorority uh, banishment... No, what, did, what happened? They had... Uh, it's worth seeking out. This sor head of a sorority or some uh, position of some authority in a in a Greek house at a university, female Greek house, is irate at the treatment the uh, house has given uh, a fraternity at an event, I think a sporting event, like a football game, and lays into them, including the phrase cunt punch, which I had never read or heard ever until that day. And it got a little bit of uh, meme play when it hit the, the zeitgeist. So it's not like it's not known now. But it is. It, it delivers in that letter 
that letter is, in my opinion, one of the five funniest things I've ever read. Um, just because it is so purposefully uh, perfect. I, you, you would, you would be a hell of a character writer if you could have written that without being her. It's an amazing flow of, of stream of consciousness. And where else does a phrase like cunt punch come from? Now, I've said that word three times, maybe even four. I've written it once, so that even counts. Well, I guess that doesn't count. Um, the reason I won't say it, <clears throat> or won't use it in public, is it's the single uh, most common phrase, word, excuse me, for word, uh, that women are disgusted by. And this isn't to appeal to women. I'm saying the the phrase, and, and I'd say moist is one, um, snatch is one, um, but because those obviously have other uh, varietal usages, cunt does not. And uh, while I have one time used it as a vicious uh, attack against somebody verbally, it was, even then, too much. And I pulled it out of the drawer, knowingly hadn't ever used that word in that capacity, ever, except that time. And even now regret it. So it is filed away forever. But it's Dirty Cousin, Cunt Punch? Oh, man, I wish that was a phrase I could use. But now that I've said it five or six times on this recording that will forever live in the public sphere, I guess it's hard for me to say that I haven't said it. So I don't think that should be the name of a weed. But it's it's always somewhat... Hmm not understandable to me that we have phrases like that that are just vile enough that they are socially unacceptable. It's a, it's just a weird thing that we have to have a list of shit like that. It, uh, I mean, it, it, it's sort of... Um, the, the human condition forces you to understand that your, your, your nature has to be reined in. It just... Or, or we're just conditioned to, to see ourselves that way. We are we we can have access to uh, some of the deviant shit that life offers, but we can't bathe in it, or we become it. Even knowing it exists changes who we are. So, cunt punch. All right. So back to weed titles. Clock in, clock out. Seriously. Why isn't that the name of a high-end sativa and a high-end indica? Clocking in, clocking out. I don't know. Maybe it is. Um, knock, knock. Okay, that's probably like copyright infringement or some shit. But knock, knock. Um, in the absurd category, Beetle Thief. Just because I like the way it sounds. Um, in the, oh yeah, I loved that movie, Tron. End of line. End of line. Why is end of line not a weed? Uh, why is dunce cap not a weed? Honestly, why is that not a weed? 
<clears throat> Gizmo, I don't think. Bunny Dust. Come on, that's funny. Last but not least, because it is copyright infringement, Cloud City. But if you could get away with it, come on. So those were the names of weeds I came up with in the seven or eight minutes that the washing machine was going. <sighs> All right. The Warren... Um, okay, first of all, I don't buy the... <laughs> I hate to say it, but this all feels... Okay, the Palestinian situation is one of complete desperation. There are no wins. Every aspect of life is a loss. Which, of course, to those of us who sit here knowing what it would be like to go on a losing streak, feel, well, yeah, I'd be pissed off enough to do some shit myself. I might fucking retaliate. I'm not saying I would do stuff like that. But yeah, I understand being angry, so it makes sense to me that they're fucking at their wit's end and are throwing what they can at a situation that is pointed against them. Human nature. But that's a too simple of a of a take on what's really happening, which is that it's not casual disregard and and misalignment with their environment. They are they are suppressed. They are oppressed. They are living in circumstances where hope has disappeared. They're living in circumstances where it's not just being dejected. It's having the, the only point of life becomes to endure it. You think that there is a strength, almost a nobility, in being able to maintain your, your sense of tomorrow in a day where today is almost unlivable and has been since as far back as you can really remember. And if that's the situation that turns you into an aggressive rebel, then you're a unique individual because you've either gone through that stage and are now in full-on resignment to your circumstance. Resignment? Is that a word? Probably not. But you are resigned to your circumstance in a way that without any hope left to spark you, doesn't matter what sort of metal you're made of, you're now essentially waiting to die. And <clears throat> with a scenario in which you've got a number of people um, feeling those intuitions, it, it's, not a, it's not a rallying point to, to create the level of attack that is seen, at least with what we've seen here in America. I... I'm so much more uh, persuaded by the powerful taking advantage of the weak in ways that are discoverable because they assume that the weak think like they do. But the weak aren't here to take. 
the weak aren't even meek. They're here to understand that there can be no cause to disregard the humanity of another. And if you find yourself as the victim of that circumstance and the forces acting upon you <clears throat> are relentless, there is no stopgap. There is no place to lift up and get air. It's a question of suffocation. And measure your breathing, you can. Sustain some sense of purpose and pride is definitely possible. But hope? What can you hope for? Even, even the idea that there would be enough rabble-rouser in you to coordinate an attack? I don't know. <laughs> Goes against everything I know that that kind of shit would happen. Especially given what the last decade has looked like in this one-way assault against a people's. And if I have to hear one more time that Israel has a right to defend itself, we've never, ever, ever insinuated otherwise. We all have a right to defend ourselves against whatever attack may be showing itself against. But to then retaliate in obscene fashion, well, the hope you have, Israel, of being respected as a viable nation depends on your humanity starting to show right now. If you think you're being viewed as strong, as committed to your convictions, as purposeful, no, you're being seen as abusive, of relentless tyranny in the face of overwhelming odds. It is so unfair what the Palestinians are putting up with right now. The rest of the world is ready for you to see it too. Exterminate these people and well, these are all the things that I fear as an American. What am I, what am I supposed to do? How am, I, how am I supposed to indicate that everything that's happening over there is wrong? And that we have supported that wrong all the way through. We are on the wrong side of history in most instances where I discover which side of history we were on. We are about creating tension and dissension that from outside looks like a bubbling uprising from within. But when that bubbling uprising will only happen with the catalyst that is American covert intervention, well, I start to think, where do I feel guiltier? That I was born inside this territory? 
or that I was born white inside of this territory. Or that I was born male, white, and inside of this territory. Or wait, guilty though. My soul knows that these circumstances don't exist. They are just a template upon which we're being played in this meat suit I carry around. So the guilt that I've allowed myself to feel, which I have, I still feel white guilt. But for no reason that is direct, it's all for implied, overt hate and the, the residue of uncivilized lives spent before mine. And yet, here I sit in a country filled with uncivilized lives being spent right now. It's, it's embarrassingly handicapping when there's no avenue in which to become a voice of something better. <laughs> I thought this country, when I was in my teenage years, I thought this country was going to lead the world into the prosperous land of Hakuna Matata. But turns out Disney was writing a different story. Or we are. Or I am. But I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I still believe that humanity's spark is just literally one tinderbox away from igniting and flipping the whole script. We're close. But I have a feeling that transition in its final stage will be abrupt and painful. So, I guess what I should do is really just enjoy some dabs, stop thinking about this shit, stop worrying about genocide and war and... Uh, I can't stop worrying about that stuff. But... How about we talk about, for the final element, authenticity. It's funny that we quarrel with authenticity. What Authenticity to me is the ability to be the real you, to be as, um, as, hmm, as representative of the actions you're taking as you find necessary in the moment. And that by doing so, embracing that sense of, of, um, of almost zoning into your activity to the point you're not even thinking, you're just doing, that's as authentic as you can get. So if authenticity has to do with being true to the activity and that the activity and you are in true sync together, well, then you're just taking your mental distracted thoughts out of the equation. Because those are the things that lead to us being inauthentic. The distractions, the veering off the trail, the discovering something else, and thus incorporating something less than the true vision of the original item or idea. You can't combine the Muppets with the Star Wars universe and expect to come up with something that's not 
that that's authentic. It can't be. Yet the Ewoks do exist. So maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe you can combine the Muppets with almost anything. But then the Muppets are, by their very nature, not authentic. They're puppets. So you're already suspending enough of your belief to think, oh, sure. I mean, if I were on another planet and a little three-foot teddy bear came up to me with a stick and poked me and offered me grapes, or wait, did I offer him grapes? My point is, you can suspend your your thoughts of reality when it comes to your fantasy and imagination. But when it comes to this reality, being authentic in the 3D space and time, or 4D space with time, um, presentation of Earth, it's, it's funny how none of the authenticity actually has to do with the activity in itself, or at least manifesting in the environment that is 3D Earth. Real authenticity is the expression of, of you. Everything you do, that you do from within your true self, always vets out as authentic. And nothing else will. You can't be authentic about your passion for uh, NASCAR racing. You can only be a passionate NASCAR racer. Vicarious authenticity doesn't exist. You're defining yourself through something else. That's the very antithesis of authenticity. Authenticity is the confidence of knowing that you are perched and can't be knocked down. You are completely at ease with the universe and your role in it. Nothing about what's happening is unexpected. Nothing about what is happening is anything but you acting and being your real self and the actions that come with it are always the authentic actions of you. And if you are lost about who you are, then you'll really quarrel with the notions of how authentic things are. Because you'll be chasing down an experience that will somehow trip the authenticity trigger inside you that now you don't know how to even navigate toward. And so you'll hear that somebody gave up um, fast food and turned into a whole new self. And you'll think, well, that, you know, that's all that's missing for me. I just need to find my thing that I'm not doing or doing. And once that tricks in, then I'll be my authentic self. Nothing from <clears throat> the world about you can define you as an authentic being. I really think 
college should be, well, first of all, it should be eight years, three of which are academic. Those would be the middle three, so the five on the outside. So you would start your college career by going and getting a fucking job for a year. Just go get a job, any job, doesn't matter. You can work at Burger King or you can be the CEO of Burger King. Whatever job you find, you do it for a year. And then it's from that experience that you apply to college with sort of the help of your of your professional years experience and the people you're working with. Those who did and didn't go to college, you're going to decide on where it is you want to go. And since it's only three years and not four, when you arrive, you'll declare a major. You'll have one year to decide it's wrong when you can do a two-year academic study to get through a major of another kind, but you're going to show up with some idea what the fuck you want to do. And by do, it's whatever you want to do. If you want to repair guitars, then come with some idea of what to do and some tools. It's your life. You don't have to be a stockbroker. You don't have to sell insurance. You don't have to work at Best Buy. But that first year, you're just going to work wherever they'll hire you. Then you go off to college to study for a year. In the last two months, three months, whatever it is that's necessary, you and the academic institution are finding your next year's internship slash employment to cooperate with your major. So you spend the next year working again and, frankly, earning money. At which point, your employer and you Decide, is this a good fit? And if it is, slot you into an advanced program for years two and the year after to come back and work there. So if it's not a good fit, now's a good time to decide, well, is it the major or is it the environment? Because if, in fact, I'm not enjoying myself as a geology major, maybe now's the time to switch over to English. Because I only have two more years, and I can still do my two years as an English major and get through. Plus, I'll have this minor in geology, or however the three-year thing works out. But your first year of academics plus work is designed to give you an initial splash of either fit or not fit. And a lot of people won't fit. That will be just as fine as fitting. It's better to go find out a lot of things that make you abrasive so that you can go 160 degrees, 130 degrees, 14 degrees, the other direction, to find a better fit. Failing is not, especially when you're young, is nothing but good information. And if you fail at something you care about, you'll always have a chance to go do it again and be better at it. Nobody is the best at something the first time they do it. Everybody started as lousy. So failing is fine. It's expected. Expect to fail more than you succeed. It's just the way life works. But, and and don't, and failure is is a terrible term. You are always on on a quest to achieve something. You can't always take forward steps. And back steps, side steps, getting punched in the gut and falling backward down a crevasse is going to happen. Managing those instances as both the most authentic self you can be, as well as 
the most paying attention, learning lessons, understanding what got me here, what could get me here again, and how I'm going to move forward away from these scenarios in my future, should that lesson play out and be necessary. The earlier you can be listening to those things, the quicker your life turns into one of simple fulfillment. There's a lot of chaos in all decades of life, but your 20s are the big one. So, be ready for it. You don't go into the ring with the idea you won't get punched. You're here to experience getting knocked down. Because getting back up is the feeling you have to remember. So, don't ever be disappointed in having tried something and having felt like you could have done better. Go do better. And then do better and better and better. Pretty soon you'll be the best in the world. Well, pretty soon. That's a a little bit of an optimistic outlook, but hey man, be optimistic. I've never picked up an oboe. I might be the best oboe player in the world, and I just haven't figured that out yet. But now I think with the oboe on the bucket list, way below marijuana bucket list, marijuana bucket list. That's an easy one. That's like pickles. Um, I had a point. Let's see if I can get back to figuring out what it was. Probably not. If, um, damn it. Oh, with authenticity. If you're faking it, why? I faked it for a while, meaning most of my life. In some way, shape, or form, I'm sure I'm faking it now. But I don't ever feel like I have to be somebody other than myself now. And I did for all my life, up until about a decade ago. I don't know what happens at 45. But all of a sudden, you quit giving a shit about all the stuff that you've over given a shit about your whole life. Or at least I did. And I was bottoming out at the end of my 30s, into my 40s. Like, this was not a timing issue. This was not a falling back to tranquility issue. This was a, I, if I die this year or 15 years from now or 50 years from now, it won't matter. My life will be the dull end of the stick from here forward. I was, I was done with all of it. I was willing to just become a drone and still believe I might be an NPC because of how mentally unfit I was. As if the only thing that could get me through the day was the idea that I couldn't kill myself. So I might as well fucking get up. I just hated life. Hated all of it. And still thought I was a pretty good guy. Like, I just thought the world was fucked up. And I had gone from the gamut of, oh, I'm fucked up, to, oh, it's all fucked up, to, oh, the world's fucked up, to now... mm, It is what it is. And that's maybe my least favorite cliche. Because there is no time at which you're saying that without actually having an underpinning of commentary. So say the commentary. And the commentary for me is simple. I've always been exactly who I needed to be. 
And when I've let the world influence that, it's always been negative. Either I've gotten too big ahead of myself, when I've gotten praise I have rarely earned, or I've gotten too down on myself when I've gotten criticism that I don't deserve. And I've trained myself to use both mechanisms to help offset the chaos that can hit a day of, as at any point could happen right now. Cat could pee on the bed. But if, if you aren't okay with yourself as both success and failure, then there will be times that you will want to mask and avoid and become something other than who you are. Failing is fine. Success is bullshit. All of it is designed to help you feel better about yourself. If that's not happening, then there's work to do. But if you're feeling better about yourself today than you did yesterday, and if you can see that you're a better person now than you were five years ago, whatever you're doing is right. And it's exactly what you need to be doing. Unless the cat's being on your bed. Man, I mean, get up and clean that up, right? Oh, did I say right? Why do I say right so much? Who did I pick that up from? What conversational parroting am I doing? That is not my phrase. For the last three years or four, I'll bet it's Lily. Well, um, has Lily made it into, huh? She's probably made it into this season more than any other season. And oddly enough, when she's not around, she's around. So, yeah, how authentic was that ending? Not. Oh, the detours of life. Isn't owning pets wonderful? Well, my laundry machine would think so. Pause. All right, well... Uh... It's a little noisy, pause. It hasn't gotten any quieter, but I have to at least address that the cat, when she peed four times last week or three days ago, whatever it was, one of those was in uh, my uh, laundry. And I thought I had cleaned, I threw everything in that laundry pile away except one of my favorite shirts was in there. And it's not even a shirt, it's a pullover. I thought I cleaned that with pet urine neutralizer enzyme shit. But that's what she peed on. So I'm guessing that's not very clean. Even though that's what's in the washing machine right now, I think I have to give up on my on easily my favorite chilly day golf shirt. God damn it. And now that she's locked in the second bedroom with nothing but a litter box and a blanket, well, is this how I want my cat to live for the rest of her life? I don't know what to do here. This is a tough situation. I'm all for live and let live, but when she starts peeing in your laundry, I don't know, man. That's that's when cats are not fun. And you know when podcasts are not fun? Well, this isn't a podcast. Well, when the ambient noise is so fucking irritating, you can't hear the speaker. So, yeah. That would qualify this as something other than a podcast, but fucking annoying. Ha!
And you know what we do when we're annoyed. Oh, yeah. This, uh, this grapefruit, which is a first time for me. Not that I, grapefruit's a very well-known strain. And, uh, is something I'm sure I've smoked in plant form without knowing it before. But <clears throat> you don't run into this concentrate very often. And especially in live resin form. So... I gotta say, as a nice hybrid sativa-leaning experience, this one's good. It uh, it won't make you fidgety, it'll just make you motivated. And it's got a nice burst of creativity. The creativity only lasts maybe 15 minutes, but it does take hold. There's no question you'll get connections going before you, uh, before you lose the experience. Wow, that's good. All right, already feeling better. Um, well, <coughs> there's about 15 minutes left in that laundry cycle, so let's see if I can think of something better than genocide books from Africa. Okay, first stoner thought. <clears throat> Do we know the actual first use of the phrase 24-7? Anybody got a claim on that one? And the reason I ask <clears throat> is because I frankly hate the phrase. I've just never liked it. Maybe it's the truncated nature of no needing words. Uh-oh, this is going to get noisy. Pause. Well, <clears throat> okay, pause. Unpause, pause. Hey, a pause in the action. Uh-oh. I mean... If you're going to have a conversation during the loudest part of the cycle, you almost have to elevate your voice just to be heard. Pause. I guess technically this is probably the loudest part. 